But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance to come before your word. Thank you for uh, Peter and James and John and Andrew asking Jesus uh, about what was to come so that we would have these words recorded for Christ to tell us uh, about what was ahead for them and still remains ahead in many ways for us. God, we pray that you would use these moments to prepare our hearts uh, to better worship you, to glorify you in the way that we live our lives looking ahead uh, to your return when you will once again come and make all things right. God, may you, uh, even as we just read that final word, what you, said, what you said to those disciples, you say to all of us, stay awake. So God, may we, may we be awake to your word and to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Perhaps if you're uh, anything like me, that you find yourself in situations where you need to stay awake, you may have some, some tidbits, some practices uh, to help you in staying awake when you're tempted to fall asleep. This also serves as good advice for the next little while for any of you who may be tempted to fall asleep in here for the next little while. So this is kind of a, a two purposes uh, in one. One, uh, of course, is caffeine. We all rely, all, some of us, okay, we don't all, but some of us rely a little too heavily on caffeine. Recently replaced my coffee pot and made sure I could make a lot of coffee at one time because I drink a lot of coffee. Other people uh, require or, or depend on uh, food. Perhaps you know this. You eat a big meal, it puts you to sleep, but if you can nibble something small to snack on that helps keep you awake. Uh, I, in general, think better standing up, so standing up is one of the things I do just to kind of keep myself alert and attentive and like to work standing up when I can. Uh, perhaps if you're doing something like driving where you, you don't have the option of standing up, I, I like going outside too, that helps, but if you can't do that while driving, maybe roll down the windows or blare some loud, energetic music. Well, there's lots of things we can do to help ourselves stay awake. Conversely, there are plenty of things we can do that are going to induce sleep eventually. 
If the thing, if the room is dark, the lights are down, if it's nice and cool, or sometimes if you get too hot, but they, you know, something that kind of, kind of slows, slows you down and puts you to sleep. Uh, for me, if my feet are elevated at all, that will put me to sleep. It doesn't matter how loud the music is or how bright the light is. If my feet are, are anywhere close to the level with my hips, you give me about five minutes and I will be out asleep. We all know things that help us or hurt us when trying to stay awake or try to go to sleep. If you, if you rest your head on your hand, eventually you know, you'll be asleep. Those kind of things. Gentle, soothing music puts you to sleep. I, I have lived a, a pretty sleep-deprived life, life in different seasons for one reason or another. So I have lots of practice in this area of trying to physically stay awake. In the second half of Jesus' message here in Mark 13, maybe even as you heard Rich read that, you kind of had to scratch your head. There's some pretty difficult pieces to this passage and try to understand what's going on. But there are also some things that are very clear, and this part is very clear. Jesus commands us, and the title I give to this message today is simply this, stay awake, stay awake. Awake. Three times he literally says that exact word, one word in the original. Verse 34, 35, and 36 all have that word, stay awake. 33, he uses, verse 33, uses similar words, be on guard and keep awake. So like we've said many times studying the Bible, if Jesus repeats something and the Bible repeats something, it's probably important. And so Jesus makes it clear his overall theme here today is staying awake. Apparently, there, was some, there is some, some things in our Christian life that require us being awake for them. You can't sleep through the Christian life, Jesus is saying. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep on the job. Last Sunday, we started back in the Gospel of Mark, picking up in Mark chapter 13. This long sermon, the longest single sermon recorded in Mark's Gospel. And it's one of the, the hinge points in Mark's gospel as he's giving this account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Last week, as we started in on this teaching portion, we commented that, that the early chapters of Mark display Jesus as king over all things. In the early chapters of Mark, he ca- he's casting out demons, he's calming storms, he's healing the sick, he's healing the blind. There is nothing and nobody stronger than Jesus. He is the clear king. But as you go through Mark, especially when you get to the second half, you realize that this king is headed to an unexpected place. Whereas you would expect a king to be headed to a throne, this king is making it clear that before he goes to a throne, he is going to a cross. And chapter 13 is a hinge because he's letting his disciples know where I am headed, I want you to follow. And what's going to happen to me will actually happen to you. There is a suffering, there's a trial that's going to come And so just as our king has gone to a cross, so he's invited us to take up our cross and follow him. In this last portion of the sermon, Jesus is warning them about trials that are to come. And so he says, stay awake. Don't miss it. It's going to take me a while. You can just, I'll promise I'll I'll get there eventually. Yeah. Uh, So he says at least a few different things uh, that he's talking about here. But the one of the, one of the key things he wants us not to miss is that Jesus is coming back. Perhaps you heard that as we read through that. Jesus makes this comparison with a a pretty, a real simple mini parable. There are other similar parables throughout the Gospels that talk about this. But here's, here's this mini parable in verse 34. He says, It's like a man going on a journey 
when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. He says, it's like, he says I'm, like, I'm like a master. I'm going to take an extended journey. You don't know how long I'm going to go away. And you've got a job. You're the doorman. You're, you're the guy standing by the door, and your job is to guard that door and be alert, be attentive when I come back. And he says, therefore, stay awake. You don't know when he's going to come back. You don't know when the master is going to come, so you've got to stay awake. Don't be found sleeping on the job. Verse 32, he says, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. No one knows. So he says, it's not like you can, you can just set your alarm. You know, if you knew that you had an appointment tomorrow at 10 a.m., you could set your alarm at 8 o'clock and have plenty of time to, to get up and get ready and be there. But Jesus says, not like that. You can't set your alarm for this and just like rush to the door and then be ready and, and pretend like you've been there the whole time. He said, no, 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 your job is to stay awake the whole time. And nobody knows when it's going to happen. He says, not even the sun. That kind of throws people off sometimes. Jesus being fully God, how could he not know something? Jesus is fully God. He is omniscient. But in his human nature, set aside certain of his divine attributes in order to experience humanity, experience life like we do. So he is fully God and still knows everything, but set that aside so he didn't live within his omniscience at all times. So which is another point to say that if anybody claims to know when Jesus is coming back, then they're elevating themselves to above Jesus during his earthly reign. So probably not a teacher you want to follow if they're predicting a date because Jesus says he didn't know during his earthly reign. He says he's coming back. You can't set your alarm for it. So just stay awake. Don't go to sleep. And you say, okay, great. If it happens in the next, you know, 10 hours, I'm good. But after that, I'm going to struggle. How in the world are you supposed to stay awake all the time? It doesn't say. Jesus doesn't stay, say how you stay awake all the time. Typical of Jesus' teachings, he gives some sharp, pointed arrow aimed at our hearts. And the way we often want to, to, to take that teaching is to take that and kind of soften the edges, kind of round it off so it's not quite so pointed. Because we have no idea, how do you apply staying awake? This is common for the way Jesus teaches. If you're familiar with the way he talks, just go back a little bit in Mark, Mark chapter 12, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. And Jesus commended her, saying, She out of her poverty put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The question after that parable is, How did that woman eat the next day? And we don't get an answer. It doesn't say what her life was like after that point. You go back a little further, Mark chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to a rich man. He said, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. All? Jesus? But how is he supposed to keep on living if he gives away all that he has? We rush to soften the sharp arrows of Jesus' teachings. But don't be so fast that we're trying to make, their, make Jesus' teachings better. He's Jesus. He apparently meant it to be this way. How do you stay awake? If we rush to soften that, we miss the urgency. We miss the, ex the expectancy of Jesus' teaching. He's calling you to do something that is impossible. And He's saying, stay awake, be alert. There's, there's a vigilance that I'm calling for that I don't want you to miss. 
One of Amber's brother-in-laws is in the army, is an army ranger. I remember him talking about the army ranger school and all the difficult parts of all the things they go through. It's fascinating all they go through. But one of the crazy things he talked about, he says, one of the hardest parts is the sleep deprivation. On top of all the physically demanding challenges that the vast majority of us couldn't do, even if we were well-fed and, well and slept everything, they're doing it all with very little nutrition and very little sleep. It's weeks of intense training and challenges, and yet they're doing it on no rest. And it makes sense that we would want our elite forces to go through that kind of training, right? We could have the best troops in the world, but if they require eight hours of sleep in order to do their job, it'd be pretty easy to stop them from doing their job. So thank you, Army Rangers, for training with virtually no sleep. Jesus says the Christian life is like that. It requires a vigilance, a diligence, a paying attention that's going to be more than just going through life comfortably. We, we have a false notion of Christianity that it's, it's a, a ticket that I got punched one day by pay, praying a prayer and then, and then after that, I just kind of live a generally good life, you know, and attend church periodically. And then I just stay comfortable and do the things I want to do. Jesus is saying there's a vigilance, there's an attention, there's an alertness to the Christian life that is not just staying comfortable. Staying awake for more than, you know, 20 hours would be really hard. That vigilance, that diligence that he's calling for is on purpose. There is an urgency, an expectancy to the Christian life. What does it mean to stay awake and to be alert in the Christian life? There are a number of other places in the Bible we read of this call to stay awake. So to try to grasp what that means, look just a, a few of those. Just a, a chapter later, Mark chapter 14, 38, Jesus tells his disciples while they're in the garden, right before he's about to be arrested, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So the opposite of being awake is entering into temptation in Mark 14. Mark 13, I mean, uh, Romans 13, we heard a little earlier. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Wake up, put on the armor of light, not darkness. And similarly, 1 Thessalonians 5, which is especially helpful, another section talking about Jesus' return, he says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Sober. So you hear the, the distinction here. Asleep, darkness, still not there. Asleep, darkness, all these times are, are ways of saying you're living in sin. Whereas being awake, being in the light, that is walking with God. So awakeness is not just a physical alertness. It is a moral attribute, a moral decision, a moral characteristic. Jesus' teaching is that sin is like heavy eyelids. You know the, the heavy eyelids moment of your day? Perhaps you have lots of those. It, it is like something, there's like a weight sitting on you that you can like barely stop it, right? That heavy eyelid syndrome, he says sin is like that. You don't have to choose sin all the time. Sin just happens to you 
whether you want it to sometimes. Sin is, is not something you always do on purpose. You can absolutely do it in, on purpose. But sometimes sin, because of our broken world and the broken hearts that are within us, sometimes sin is just natural. It just happens like falling asleep. He says, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be somebody who is faithful in the Lord, it's going to require some alertness, some paying attention. Sometimes you got to stand up. Sometimes you got to walk outside. Sometimes you need a good cup of coffee. Get with following Jesus, being alert, being attentive, staying awake. That is what it means to follow Jesus. So now here you go. <laughs> Stay awake until the end by living faithfully in the present. Stay awake until the end by living faithfully in the present. Honoring God here and now by being vigilant in our unfaithfulness is knowing, yes, Jesus is going to come back one day. I want to honor God knowing Jesus is coming back. And that honoring looks like being faithful, being alert, being attentive to holiness and following Christ even when it's challenging. What does faithfulness look like for you in the seasons of, season of life that you are in? What does it mean for you to be faithful at home right now? What does it look like for you to be faithful in your marriage, faithful in parenting, faithful in caring for those around you and in your extended family? What does it look like for you to be faithful at work? If you are alert, if you're staying awake at work, what does it look like for you to walk in holiness in, jo in the job that you have? For students, what does it look like for you to be faithful at school, to be walking in holiness when the world around you is asking you to walk any other way? Your relationships with people, your relationship with the Lord, what does holiness and faithfulness look like? What does it look like for you to break some bad habits so you can come into the light and out of the darkness? What does it look like for you to start some new good habits to walk faithfully with the Lord. Sin in all those areas of your life is like, like, like um, God told Cain in the garden. He said, sin is crouching at the door. You, you don't have to invite it in. If you just give it a little space, it'll come in. If you are not alert, if you are not attentive, sin will take over any of those areas of your life if you let it. But if you're vigilant, if you're staying awake, if you're guarding your six, if you're saying, I got to watch out, Otherwise, I will be attacked. What does faithfulness look like for you in this season of life? Stay awake. Don't fall asleep trying to follow Jesus because He's coming back and He invites you to be faithful in the present. This is especially hard in the context Jesus is talking about. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about when things are hard. It's about to get real hard for Him. It's going to get real hard for His disciples. And He says, in these moments, when things aren't easy, are you going to be able to be faithful even then. Stay awake. That much is clear in Mark 13. And I'd like to close my Bible and just go home. But we're not done with the passage. This much is clear. Jesus is talking about His return. We got that. He's talking about coming back. Like a, like, like a serve, master leaves servants and comes back. He's clear that He's calling us to stay awake. We got five different references, three different words. Stay awake. Be alert. And then what we did is we used other places in the New Testament to understand what staying awake is. You with me so far on how we got to this, this point? All right. Staying awake until the end by living faithfully in the present. I hope you can see that here. And if we are careful, I think we can also see 
The rest of this passage is just encouraging this same truth. There are a lot of Jew, Jesus was a, a Jewish man speaking to Jewish disciples and a primarily Jewish Christian recipients of Mark's gospel. So when Jesus spoke, he could make allusions to the Old Testament, knowing that the people listening heard him. We, on the other hand, aren't quite as good at our Old Testaments as Peter, James, John, Andrew, other recipients of Mark's gospel would have been. So Jesus' message is actually clear. It's just filled with so many Old Testament references, we get a little foggy because we don't know it as well. I had to study a lot on this too, so I'm not putting myself where you're not. I'm right there with you. When we do, I think we can see this. Two, two encouragements about staying awake until the end. The first is this. Christ has come and will come with great power. Christ has come and will come with great power. He gives some valuable and significant teachings about what it looks like for Jesus when He comes back. We read this in verse 26. He says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And all of us at that point are trying to use our imagination of what that looks like. But all of us instead need to just flip back in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is one of the most commonly quoted prophecies in the New Testament. In fact, every time Jesus used this phrase, Son of Man, it's an allusion to that reference. But here we also get this, this wording of the coming in the clouds. Daniel 7.13 says, With the clouds there came one like a son of man. That, that prophecy was about one who looked like a man and yet was reigning over all nations. And Daniel, you probably scratch your head like, how can somebody be human and yet be in charge of all kingdoms? But then we meet Jesus and we're like, oh, that's how it works. Jesus is saying that fulfillment will finally happen when Christ comes back. He will reign over all things. The clouds reference is the fact that he's referenced to all over all things. So whether or not he's physically like standing on the clouds, well, I don't know. But the point is he's reigning over all. His power and glory will be seen in some way, whether it's with our eyes or somehow we just understand or whatever happens, Jesus is going to make it clear and nobody's going to miss it because every knee is going to bow that he is king. When he comes back, nobody will miss that he is king over all things. Daniel 7:14 talks about being reigning over all nations. It's exactly what Jesus says next in Mark 13, 27. And then they will send out angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Four winds, what is it? All right, again, got to know your Old Testaments. Zechariah 2, 6, four winds represents people from all directions. Deuteronomy 34 talks about the gathering from the uttermost parts of the earth. Similar to Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all enemies your footstool. He's just telling us he's in charge of everything. And people, not just from one nation of Israel, but from all nations, are coming, they're gathered, they're with the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And it's like he's, he's, Jesus is sitting back and saying, we got it, fully under control. That's what it will be like when he returns. Man, we can't wait for that day. If your life, and I'm just going to assume it is, has some chaos in it, it's good news that one day the chaos will stop. If your life has some grief and sorrow and struggle and pain, it is good news that one day there is a king who will reign from the clouds over heavens, over everything, and everything will bow to him and that he will be in charge. And if you know Jesus, if you have turned from your sins and said, I, I need a savior, and you've put your faith in Jesus, then it is good news that he will gather his elect to him. 
You can be rest assured if you are a believer, He will gather you in. This is good news that Christ has come and will come with power. He is coming to gather His elect, His people from all nations. Nathan used a phrase a couple weeks ago that I wrote down and I asked him about. And he, he, didn't, he said, I didn't get that from anybody. So this is Nathan original. Forever I will quote Nathan on this. What does it mean? What is God's election? God's election is that God is selective, but He is not stingy. Nathan Nowell, two Sundays ago. So good. God is selective, but He is not stingy. God is gathering people, not just from one nation. How, how awful would it be if we had to be a certain race or speak a certain language in order to be a Christian? But God is gathering people from all nations. And praise God that He is the one doing selecting How does that all work? We don't know, but this is the good news. By God choosing us, we can have assurance that we're going to make it. We're going to make it. If my assurance of my salvation was dependent upon my choosing, I would have no assurance because I'd be just as likely to unchoose Him when things get hard. But here's the good news for the Christian. God has promised He will gather His elect from all nations, from all corners of the globe. Which means you can't be scattered too far from God for Him to one day gather you to Himself. That is good news that Christ has come and will come in great power. He has the power to gather His people to Himself. So He says, stay awake. Be ready for that day. It is coming and you can trust Him. Stay awake that you get to gather and stay awake to this call to missions and evangelism. If you get to be called Bring somebody with you. And not just your neighbor, but yes, your neighbor, but also the people at the ends of the earth. He's saying, I'm not stopping just on my little quail run circle. Praise God that his reaches go to Halitla, Mexico and to the ends of the earth. Praise God that the people that the Cook family are, are planting a church in Hawakatlan, Mexico. Praise God that he desires to bring people from Hawakatlan, Mexico to know Him on that final day, that they too will be gathered to Him. Praise God, and may our, our, our hearts be stirred to love our neighbors enough to share the gospel with them. Christ has come. God Himself, fully God, became fully man, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserve to die, and then resurrected on the third day, ascended to be back with the Father, and has promised to come once again. Your neighbors need to hear that. Your neighbors need to, to see the depth of our sin, to see the temptation we all have to let, to let the weight of sin drag our eyelids down and to follow the, the darkness of the world. Your neighbors need to hear, wake up to the Savior of the world. And they're waiting on you to tell them. They're waiting on you to share the good news. Because Christ is coming back. Part of the gospel is His second return, His judgment, His coming back. And when He comes at that day, the, those who are the elect, His people, His children will be gathered to Him. And those who are not will be under eternal judgment. All sin will be judged one way or another. All sin will be paid for one way or the other. Either Christ paid for it because we believe in Him, or we will pay for it for eternity. Your neighbors need to hear a warning. Christ has come in power and glory, and He will come in power and glory again. We need to be awake. We need to be 
vigilant to what He has promised. That vigilance, that urgency is carried throughout. Verse 28 and 29, this another parable about the fig tree reinforces the same urgency. 28, 29, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as a branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things take place, you know that He is near at the very gates. Some people may try to overinterpret this to give some literal moment in history. I think this is simply enough saying, just like the fig tree, you got leaves, then summer's coming. You see these things that are happening, God's coming back soon. There's an urgency to this message. And then we learn this in verse 24. He says, In those days, after the tribulation, so Christ's return and power and glory will come at the end of our suffering. Christ has come, and He will come again. When's He going to come? He's going to come when the suffering's over. When's the suffering over? I don't know. When it's over. Some people take this word, tribulation, and try to attach it to a specific seven-year period, because in English, the way we most often hear the word tribulation has been popularized to represent some specific time period. And it might, I don't know. It could also just be a general reference to hard times. Acts, the, the same words translated persecution over and over. Romans, at least a couple of instances, it's referenced just as suffering. So I take it as just the suffering of this present world. When this suffering of the present world is done, Jesus is going to come back. We don't know when it's going to be. We don't know how long it's going to be, but he's going to come back. But again, that's, we'll see what happens. The point is, between now and Jesus is coming back, there's going to be some hard times. So you need to know there's a Jesus, there's a Savior, there's a Christ who has power and glory even over our sufferings. That's good news. That's good news. And when he does come back, it will change everything. It will change everything. Verse 25 and 26, The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heavens, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now that sounds scary, doesn't it? Again, the Old Testament helps us understand Jesus' point. Over and over again, the prophets, we read of things like sun and moon and stars not shining. How, how is that possible? Well, in Genesis 1, we read the opposite, right? Jesus, I mean, God spoke. Jesus is God, but God spoke and there was light. There was a sun, there was moon, there was stars. So the prophets would use this language of the sun and the moon and the stars being darkening. It's like a reversal of creation. It's a way of saying chaos was happening. Isaiah 13, 10 and 11, see if this sounds familiar, Jesus' words. He says, Isaiah does, For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked of their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. To our ears, if I just read you those two references, that sounds like Jesus' second coming, doesn't it? But Isaiah was talking about when Babylon would be destroyed. The physical city, some 500 years before Jesus, that would be destroyed. So Jesus, when he's talking about the sun and the moon and the stars being dampened, he's talking, it's a, it's a, it's a prophetic way, a, a metaphorical way of saying the whole world is being turned upside down. And that's exactly what's going to happen when he comes. It's a whole new world, a new heavens and a new earth. It feels like, it seems like the whole world is changing. The sun itself, it feels like, is stopped shining. The closest thing that we, that maybe our generation as Americans know is like the day of 9-11, right? It was a beautiful, cloudless day in New York City when those planes hit the World Trade Center towers. 
But we could, in a very real way, say it was like the sun stopped shining that day. It was chaos that day. It was like the whole world changed. And the world has never been the same since and will not go back to pre-9-11 days. It changed everything. Now, thankfully, it wasn't an overthrow of a whole country. For Babylon, it was. The overthrow of an entire country. When Jesus is speaking of His return, He's saying everything will be different. A whole new world order will be established. So what physically happens to the sun and the moon and the stars? I don't know. But there is a whole new world after Jesus comes back. And that helps us see, I think, at least a couple more things in this passage. And just, Jesus is talking about His second coming. But if we see the sun and the moon and the stars, back to Isaiah 13, and Babylon being destroyed, Jesus is also talking about the city He was, he was looking at. He's standing on the Mount of Olives, and He's looking at Jerusalem, talking to His disciples. And He's talking about, yes, His second coming, but He's also talking about just a few decades from now, the very city He's looking at would be destroyed. Isaiah prophesied about a pagan nation that didn't love God being destroyed. And now Jesus is saying, God's own city, His own temple, will one day be destroyed. This, this, this temple is going to be wiped out. And that happened just a few decades later, the year 70 A.D. That's why we can see Jesus was not misled or confused in verse 30 when He says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. There really would be a world-shaking, totally transformational destruction that would come during the generation that he was talking to. 70 AD, we, we cannot, as, as Christians on this side of the globe, in this century, we cannot begin to comprehend how revolutionary it was for that temple to be knocked down and destroyed. It was an earth-shattering moment for the first century Jews. Jesus says something like that is going to happen just a few decades from now. Something greater than that's going to happen when I come back. But you're going to live this in a very real way in just a few decades. And then I think, truthfully, Mark 13 has one more event in mind. He's talking about his return. He has in mind the destruction of the temple 40 years from now. But I think you can't read Mark 13 honestly without also seeing Jesus talking about something that's going to happen just two days from then, that he himself would be crucified. When we hear of the sun being darkened, in Mark 13, we can't help but think of the way that Mark, I mean, Matthew and Luke described the crucifixion. Mark, uh, Matthew 27, 45, now from the sixth hour, that's noon, there was darkness over the land until about the ninth hour, 3 p.m. Darkness. There was something earth-shattering, world-changing going on. Namely, that the Son of God was being killed. He was being crucified for you and for me. Jesus would reiterate His command to His disciples, stay awake. And in a very literal sense, He would call them to do that the night before He was crucified. Mark 14, He came to them and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He's like, hey, remember the sermon I just gave you about how when I'm going to come back, you've got to be paying attention. You've got to be alert. I need that in a very literal way right now. Guards are coming. You're about to fall into temptation. Stay awake. Wake up. Pray. They don't pray. They fall asleep. Mark 13, he says, you don't know when the master is going to come back. Maybe it's in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Those were all, all different watches of the night. 
That's in Mark 13. Mark 14 and 15, those same timestamps show up in the, the account of Jesus' trials and crucifixion. Mark 14, 17, when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And one truly said, I, one, one, he said, one of you will betray me. The rooster crows, you know that one. That's when Peter denied Jesus three times. Mark 15, 1, when it was morning, the chief priests came and held counsel and they bound Jesus and delivered him away to Pilate. What, what's the point? With all these connections between Jesus' second coming, the destruction of the temple, and his own crucifixion. Jesus is talking about all of those. Why? What's the point? If he was only talking about his second coming, as much as you would try not want to do this, you would try the sleep method and just set the alarm. You know what that method is spiritually? That method spiritually is, I don't need to follow Jesus because I'm not going to die today. I'm going to set an alarm for right the year before I die, maybe a month, maybe just a week really before I die, and then I'm going to get my life right, and I'm going to repent, and I'm going to believe in Jesus and go to heaven. I'm going to set my alarm for that day because it doesn't really matter. If that's all Jesus is talking about was just when he comes back, I'm just going to bank on the fact that for the last 2,000 years, he hasn't come back, so the odds are kind of in my favor that I can just hold off and wait. It'd be hard to argue with that logic, but he's not just talking about his second coming. He's saying, listen, disciples, yes, when I come back, that is the full and final fulfillment of all these things. The world is going to change forever. He says, but don't just wait. Just a few decades from now, the world is going to be shaken. There's going to be a total upheaval of everything. And if you are not clinging to Jesus, if you are not staying awake, when that tribulation comes in 40 years, you're going to flee. You're going to run away and you're going to stop following him. So don't, don't stop now. If you're just waiting for the second coming, the, the destruction of Jerusalem is going to destroy you. And he says, actually, it's not even about 40 years from now. Two days from now, I'm going to be put on trial I'm going to be crucified outside the city and you're going to run away. And they did. They ran away. Jesus is talking about, yes, his second coming that will come at the end of time. But he's also talking about how we live through all the suffering that we experience between now and then. If you try to set your alarm until the year before you die, you're missing out on being a part of the kingdom of God here and now. Preparing for the end means staying awake and knowing Jesus here and now. It means living faithfully in the joyous presence of God even when it costs you something. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. There is suffering, there is trial, there is struggle. But he is with you. Jesus gives us one final encouragement call us to live faithfully. Mark 13, 31. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It's a pretty big statement for Jesus to make. God had said something like that. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Jesus is saying, my words are God's words, so you can take my promises to the bank. These are words you can count on. It is a promise that He will gather you to Himself. It is a promise that He will be firm with you forever. And so you can live faithfully now, knowing that nothing is going to shake the Word of God. The sun may be darkened, the moon may be darkened, the stars may fall, heaven and earth may give way, 
but you can trust in Jesus' words that He is the Savior and He is coming back and He will make all things right. So whatever else you're going to do, stay awake, be attentive, don't give up, and trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is hard. It's difficult to understand. It's difficult to grasp. And yet, You have given us a Holy Spirit, Your Spirit inside of us, to begin to comprehend the height and depth and width of Your great love for us. God, thank You that You loved us enough to warn us that You would be coming back. And that that coming power and glory would be good news for those who believe and it would be eternal destruction for those who do not. God, thank you for a warning. May we heed that warning. May we stay awake. May we be attentive to your spirit and living faithfully today. Because you will come. You will make all things right. And we want to be ready. God, send us with an urgency, an expectancy, a vigilance for our lost neighbors, for whole people groups who do not yet know you, and a vigilance for the sin that crouches at our door that wants to derail our lives. God, may we be diligent. May we be faithful. May you empower us by your spirit to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.